Welcome to the Infertility Stress Podcast, where we talk about how to care for your mind and your nervous system during your fertility treatment process so you can spend less time sorting through vast amounts of unnecessary information and more time living your life. I'm Michelle Kapler, fertility acupuncturist, board certified reproductive specialist, and mindset coach, and you've got episode 48. Well, my dear, thanks for hanging out with me today. Firstly, if you didn't catch my episode last week, all about experiencing painful emotions during infertility, you want to check it out. Not only because it's a really good episode, but also because it features my deep and raspy voice 10 days into a head cold, which my husband so lovingly referred to as my chain smoker voice. Isn't he just a peach? So there's a little bit of that left over this week, but it's not quite as bad. But either way, check out the episode. It's amazing. Also, I want to remind you that my free live class called Unraveling Infertility Burnout is happening on July 14th, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. If you are feeling like infertility has you at the end of your emotional rope and that one more piece of bad news might send you over the edge and make you finally lose your mind, this is for you. And if you find that your emotions are sort of on a short fuse, maybe you're snapping at your partner or the clinic staff or your coworkers for reasons that you think aren't actually all that big of a deal, this is for you. If you feel like you're tired all the time, exhausted, even if you've had a good night's sleep or have taken a vacation, this class is for you. Infertility burnout, which I define as the decline in emotional resilience during your infertility process, is something that's so common for folks as they go through this process. In this class, I'm going to teach you what it is, what causes it, and some of the reasons are super obvious and some of them you probably haven't even considered before, and what you can do to begin to heal from it or prevent it from happening in the first place. You can join us for free by saving your spot at michellecavalier.com forward slash burnout. Yes, there will be a replay available, but I do highly recommend joining us live because you'll be able to participate in the discussion and ask questions. There will also be a little bonus available only to the people who attend live. Again, it's Thursday, July 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. You're going to head to michellecavalier.com forward slash burnout to save your spot today. So today I want to talk about the knowledge and information that you may gather during your infertility process and what to do with that information and what gathering it in the first place all means. Now, I understand that the terms information and information gathering have a wide range of applicability. So I want to give you a few examples of what I mean by this in the context of your infertility treatment process. The first thing I want to mention is information gathering about your own body, This is when people collect information and data on how their bodies are functioning during their infertility process. This can be anything from symptom tracking to cycle charting to basal body temperature to ovulation strips to measure the growth and curvature of your luteinizing hormone levels. It can even be something like taking pregnancy tests and gathering data as your HCG progresses or does not progress. The second thing I want to mention is information gathering about other people. This might mean looking at statistics and success rates from people with a similar fertility diagnosis, or maybe even a diagnosis that's completely different from yours. It's things like polling people in Facebook support groups, asking for advice on your case on Reddit, and all of this would easily fit into this category of gathering information about other people's infertility. 
The third thing I want to mention is information gathering about lifestyle practices, diet, and supplements. This would be your laundry list of things you might do in your lifestyle in the hopes of optimizing fertility, usually collected from online experts and influencers and perhaps complementary practitioners that you've engaged along the way to help you. Fertility yoga or Pilates, fertility diets, fertility meditations, fertility vitamins or supplements. And this doesn't even begin to cover the information on the long list of things that you shouldn't do during infertility. The last thing I want to mention is information gathering of medical data. This would be things like recording every data point from each blood work and ultrasound appointment into your handy spreadsheet, keeping notes and studying trends in your test results and lab data. It could also be researching extra tests and procedures to gather even more data and requesting these tests and procedures from your physician, even if they haven't been recommended. I think everyone going through infertility treatment at some point will gather at least one, if not all of these types of information. And there's a spectrum of commitment and interest in this that will vary from person to person. And what I first want to say is that I'm not saying that information gathering in and of itself is a problematic thing for everybody. It's not objectively bad to do this. In fact, I would argue that effective medical self-advocacy is usually based on having a working understanding of what you're dealing with in your own body and how it compares to others and what your medical data says. But there is a point at which information gathering goes from a place of empowerment to a place of anxiety and truthfully to a place of self-medication from that anxiety. Over the years of helping thousands of folks during their infertility process, I have seen how gathering information can be a good thing, an important thing. And I've also, and I would say more often, I've seen people drive themselves to some pretty dark places with their level of information gathering. So how do you know where you fall on the spectrum and whether or not it's problematic for you? I want to start with a tangible and pretty common example where people can fall into many different points along the spectrum. And this example is ovulation predictor kits. If you don't know what this is, Ovulation predictor kits, which I will refer to as OPKs, are test kits, which provide test strips to measure the level of luteinizing hormone in your urine. So you pee on the sticks and then, or the strips, and you get an indication that will help indicate when a person is ovulating. There are varying degrees of fanciness in these test kits. Some are simply a pack of no-frill strips that you pee on every day to see how dark the indicator line gets, and all the way through to highly sophisticated digital systems that will measure your LH hormone levels as well as other accompanying and relevant hormones, and will translate this information into a rating based on a smiley face that shows up on the screen and how happy that smiley face is. And not to go on too much of a tangent, But there are a few fun things that people don't know about OPKs. First, and this is really important here, OPKs don't actually tell you if you've ovulated or not. They simply tell you if you've experienced a change in a particular hormone. It is possible to have an LH surge and not ovulate. The only way to definitively know if you're ovulating is to test via blood work and ultrasound at multiple times throughout your cycle. The second kind of fun fact that I want to highlight here is that it's actually possible to have more than one LH surge throughout your month if you have a particular hormone condition. For example, people with polycystic ovarian syndrome might have multiple LH surges throughout their cycle and still not ovulate at all. So my message here is that it isn't universally appropriate of a test and its applicability will vary from person to person. So going back to our conversation about information gathering, OBKs are a pretty common test that people do when they are trying to conceive. 
the information a person gets from the test may or may not be accurate, relevant, or applicable. And yet, people really lean into OPKs. They live and die by the test results, figuratively, of course. They plan their life around it. They tell themselves that if they don't have sex on the exact right day, that they have personally failed at this particular cycle. They use it as a way to create a sense of control in a situation where they actually have very little control. And here's the crux of it all. Knowing whether or not testing with OPKs is actually helpful or is actually serving you mostly comes down to how you're thinking and feeling about it. And I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit. So for example, if somebody is using OPKs because they simply want to connect with their body and learn about their own unique hormonal rhythms and maybe use it as data to inform approximately when they should have intercourse, and here's the important part, they feel good when they do it, that's one thing. But if somebody is using it in a more militant way, where it's causing stress and anxiety, where it's feeding this idea that there is any kind of moral value in the way that they behave during a cycle and thereby affecting the outcome, where it negatively affects their relationship with a partner. Yeah, I know you're tired, but we have to have sex today because the stick says it's time. Where it negatively affects their relationship with themselves. And this can most easily be seen in their inner dialogue, which is usually something like, quote, I messed up the cycle. I didn't get it right on the day. It's my fault that we don't get pregnant. Where they might feel a high level of stress and anxiety. This may be an indicator that gathering this type of information might be doing more harm than good. So if you are in the latter camp, I want to officially give you permission not to use OPKs. If the sperm and the eggs are healthy and you ovulate on or around day 14 of your cycle with a couple of days leeway and you have sex approximately every other day from day 10 to day 18, the math will align and you will have a good chance of getting pregnant every month. If you are ovulating really early or really late or not at all, if the sperm is of poor quality, if egg quality is a concern, you'll likely need medical intervention of some kind and OPKs won't be particularly useful to you. It really will be okay if you don't use them, especially if it's stressing you out or costing you a lot of money, which is stressing you out. Another thing I want to touch on that I briefly mentioned earlier is that a lot of these information gathering practices are actually a form of self-soothing or self-medication. And it comes from this untrue idea that we are ultimately responsible for our health outcomes and that if we do everything perfectly, we can and will get our bodies to behave in a certain way. And that if we don't do these things perfectly, we are morally inferior and less than. This idea comes from diet culture and the wellness industry and a very rich history of telling people socialized as women that their worth is defined as constantly improving ourselves and somehow attaining perfection, somehow managing not to age and taking up the least amount of space possible, both literally and figuratively. When doing this practice of information gathering, we are doing so from a perspective that it is ultimately all on our shoulders to figure out the missing piece in our infertility that we could somehow change and then get pregnant, and ultimately finding out what we are not doing perfectly and correcting that. I've worked with so many people over the years who keep asking their doctor for test after test after unnecessary procedure and test because they want to leave no stone unturned. And that's assuming that we have the medical technology and language to even determine what's preventing them from getting pregnant. 
They have determined that it's all on them. And by getting more and more information, it helps to temporarily relieve the anxiety that they are experiencing. Because when we do one more test or ask one more question or book one more consultation or schedule one more procedure, it actually delivers a very big hit of dopamine and other pleasurable neurotransmitters to our brain. And this helps to numb out the negative emotions temporarily. The problem is that it doesn't actually solve for the anxiety. It just temporarily buffers over it. But when the happy cocktail of brain chemicals wears off, we're still left with the anxiety and the self-doubt and the uncertainty and the lack of control that's just inherently part of infertility. Because there's still so much we don't know about infertility. There's so much that we still don't have the language or data to explain in modern medical science. There's so much that modern medical technology is still guessing at. So if you recognize this as you, what can you do about it? There is this obvious answer of get off Reddit and stop doing OPKs and stop looking for that next greatest fertility diet that's guaranteed to have you pregnant in 90 days. But it isn't that simple. Because when you stop taking action in the hopes of being able to do infertility perfectly, you are left with all of the raw, painful feelings. So first step, you're going to listen to last week's podcast about dealing with painful emotions. It's episode 47, and I'll stick it in the show notes for you. And then you're going to practice allowing these negative feelings to be there without judgment, without making it mean that something is going wrong. I have a little guided audio recording on processing feelings that's up for grabs. It's free and you can find it in the Infertility Stress Relief Toolkit. To grab that for free, you can head to michellecapler.com forward slash toolkit and download that right now. And if you really want to dive deep with this, you're going to want to join us for Unraveling Infertility Burnout. It's on July 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. To register, you're going to head to michellecapler.com forward slash burnout. That's it for me this week. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, you've got this, my dear. 